Welcome to the Eat This, Not That podcast. I'm John Hammond, and this is Megan Murphy. Hi, everyone. And this week, we have a very special episode as we are going to discuss the incredible power that food can have in dramatically changing your health, well, your life, actually, uh, for the better. And it's, we're, we're actually joined by a very special guest this week. Yeah, we are incredibly excited for today's very special guest. He is a celebrity chef, New York City restaurateur, cookbook author. Maybe you've seen him on TV on shows like Iron Chef or Chopped. He's been nominated for James Beard Awards. I mean, he has a crazy list of accolades. He's a complete culinary badass, and we are so thrilled to have him. Welcome, Chef Seamus Mullen. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. It's awesome. Yeah, so I have known Seamus for several years now through the industry, and he has the most amazing story. And we're very lucky that he'll be sharing a little bit about his journey with all of us today. We just featured Seamus in our winter issue of Eat This, Not That magazine, and it's incredibly inspiring how he completely transformed his entire life, and at the root of that was really his relationship with food. So Seamus, if you don't mind kind of diving right in, a little bit about your journey, maybe take us back a few years to working in those stressful New York City restaurant kitchens and kind of how that lifestyle led you down maybe a downward spiral of your health. Yeah, well, everybody knows that chefs are notorious for for just being really healthy people who have great work-life balance, and uh, I was certainly no exception to that. Um, I... I, uh, I spent the majority of my 20s, um, the last half of my 20s and, and almost all of my 30s, pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just did what most of us in the industry do, and particularly what chefs do, and put my head down and I didn't complain and just soldiered through through the pain. Um, without Initially, without knowing what was going on, just knew that I didn't feel great. I remember calling my mom at one point, and I think I'm, I might have been like 29 years old, and saying, oh, God, I just wish I could trade my body in for a new body. I mm-hmm. couldn't really describe what it was that felt so awful. There wasn't anything specific. But in general, I just felt pretty crappy all, mm-hmm. all around. Um, so I, you know, that was kind of the beginning, and, and um, it, I... I it went from that to really getting sick till eventually I, uh, I, I knew there was something severely wrong and um, I, was, I was hospitalized and then I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So I kind of had a, a diagnosis to hang my hat on that shed some light as to why I felt so off all the time. Um, but that really began a very, very new chapter in my life, which was that of being a sick person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, it was tough, but you know. Like how did you manage um, rheumatoid arthritis with the stress, stressful, demanding lifestyle of, of everything you do? Yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Like when you, you, say, you said that you had been sick for a while, mm-hmm. and, and this was before the realization that you had rheumatoid arthritis, yep. did you just kind of chalk it up to, I, I'm living a stressful life? Because you're trying, I mean, building a restaurant is, is yeah. not an easy task, let alone being a chef is, is more stressful than I think people imagine it to be. And Especially in this city, for late sure. Late hours yeah. Yeah. in the city late hours so so not a lot of sleep did you just kind of chalk it up to, to yeah, all those I mean, kinds I, of things I thought it was we, we work really long hours you don't really take care of yourself I, I also so I started kind of feeling awful in my in my mid to late 20s and at the time I just thought it was I was exhaustion mm-hmm. um, and there was other stuff that was going on but I, I kind of didn't I did what most guys do and you don't really pay attention to it you don't really listen to it and then I had a really bad motorcycle accident so oh. that kind of really threw a spanner in the works I, I broke a bunch of bones I had a bunch of surgeries and when I came out of that my body just hurt all the time and I wasn't sure you know I, I sort of assumed that was just the result of, of having this accident mm-hmm. um, which certainly didn't make things any better, better yeah. but um, 
but there was something there was a deeper underlying cause to why I felt so awful all the time you get the you have the realization or the diagnosis I guess that you have rheumatoid arthritis is this something that you was there a history or as you look back were there signs like oh this is this is what it wasn't stress it was this no I mean it's a lot of people in fact I had the the same reaction that most people had once I told other people that I'd been diagnosed which was what do you mean arthritis this is a disease of the elderly I I don't have arthritis how could I possibly have arthritis and what I didn't really understand I I didn't know anything at the time about autoimmune dysfunction I didn't understand i'd probably heard this is quite a while ago so these things that we talk about a lot now um were not uh were not so prevalently spoken about in 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 in, um you know and as much as they are now and people are much more aware of of autoimmune dysfunction uh even ra and ms and things like that which were definitely around but um not thought of in the same way as they are now and so I, I heard this, and I didn't really know what autoimmune dysfunction was or an autoimmune disease was. Um, I didn't n- had never heard of rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, it wasn't until I, I was diagnosed and then started to, a treatment program that I understood. Okay, my immune system is quote unquote overactive or dysfunctional, and the way it's presenting itself is in these arthritic flare-ups that are acute attacks in different joints. Um, but what was also going on is I was just dealing with chronic inflammation on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. even though I'd have these really, really horrific acute attacks, um, they were, you know, they, they'd happen periodically. I was having just chronic um, pain and swelling in my joints. And, and I just, in general, felt really terrible. And then you have to be on your feet all day. Like, that's that's that Yeah, I mean, that's horrible. the worst. Yeah. I mean, your feet really are, are, are going to swell anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're... In a, in a kitchen where you're usually doing your movement patterns or two or three patterns, you're doing the same movement to the right, you're bending down, you're grabbing this, you're turning and doing that. You're not, it's not like you're, you're, you're doing yoga in the kitchen. You know? right. You're, it's you're not literally, fluid. no, it's yeah. like you're the tin man. And when you're, <laughs> when you're stiff and tired on top of that, everything just gets you know, worse and worse. And I remember you know, I, I was able to just through the adrenaline of, uh, adrenaline of being in a busy kitchen, you kind of get through everything. But then by the end of the night, it's like suddenly everything shuts down and you realize how awful you've felt all day long and, uh, and that it, it just catches up to you. And then I, you know, I would, I, I'd really just fall apart after work and it was, it was pretty bad. So how long was that kind of stretch where you had this diagnosis, you were feeling tolerable, like what was that like? It was probably, well, so it was probably five years or more between when I started to feel like crap and to when I was diagnosed. And then it was another seven years or so of living with the disease that I really, you know, I was on medication. I was going through conventional treatment for it, but I was getting worse and worse and worse on a daily basis. So over, over a decade of just yeah. this kind of debilitating discomfort, uh, fatigue, pain. And what, what, I, what I found most compelling in, in, in reading your story was, you know, I think a lot of us think arthritis and, and aren't really sure what rheumatoid arthritis is. Like you said, it's an autoimmune disease mm-hmm. and it's, it can be really quite serious. And mm-hmm. to the point where, I mean, you weren't just in the hospital with some aches and pains and how do I get the, the inflammation to go down? I mean, it was, it was quite serious at, oh, yeah. at a certain point. I think yeah. you talked about having to, to use ice baths to even get your temperature. The only thing yeah. that would regulate your temperature at that point. Well, one of the things that happens with, with, um, immune dysfunction, or when you have a disease like RA, is that then there you develop or you're exposed to all these secondary things that can happen as well. Um, being on uh, the one of the, the the most common ways of treating 
uh, autoimmune dysfunction is using immunosuppressants to, to reduce, in the case of RA, to reduce the over overproduction of inflammatory cytokines, of, of the proteins that are stimulating this inflammation. The problem with that is that it there there are, there are a number of other side effects, obviously, that these very power, powerful biologic drugs have. And uh, and one of them is that they can leave you very expo exposed to infection. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I had lots of issues from I had a I had a grand mal seizure as a result of um, oh, wow. the, of medication that was that I was on, um, and and I also ended up with uh, with bacterial meningitis with an infection in my brain, which in all likelihood was driven by leaky gut syndrome. I probably had bacteria that went through the gut lining and went into the blood system. My immune system was suppressed because of the drugs that I was taking and wasn't able to fight that that infection and it went to my brain and and that's what nearly killed me and that's really was was um that was the tipping point for me. That's where I realized if I don't, you know, if I don't make a change here, I am totally you know, yeah. I am yeah. done. And uh and 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 that's I was lucky that in shortly after that, I, I met uh, Dr. Frank Lippman, um, who I met socially through through a friend, and he ended up becoming uh, my doctor and now a very close friend of mine. Um, and his practice is a practice of functional medicine where he looks at the entirety of the bottom as, body as a system. Um, and rather than looking at uh, symptoms in isolation or in verticals, uh, he, you know, he, he's not, he, he told me, I'm not interested in treating RA. I want to work with you to find out what's causing RA. And that was a that was a very eye-opening moment for me because I realized I started to think of symptoms more as messages rather than the problem themselves. Mm. So if you're just killing the messenger, you're not you're not actually right. you're not dealing with the problem. Um, and that's where we started to really look at what, what could be the driving factors that are leading to my body breaking down. Yeah, that's you talk about this aha moment that you just had. And uh, you'll talk, I'm sure, about your new cookbook, Real Food Heals, which mm -hmm. we'll get into. It's an amazing book. But when I was reading that, you talk about this moment in the hospital. And when I was reading it, I pictured, you know, a TV show or the movie where the character is literally on the hospital bed, like flatlining, mm -hmm. like beep, and then they see the light. And it's like this crazy, insane scene, like that's what it that's seemed what like, right? Yeah. Like, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, people who have had near-death experiences, they all seem to be very similar. Uh, in, in my case, I had a very, very high fever, and uh, I, I lost consciousness. Um, and when I say high fever, it was 106 degrees. So that's like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. That's you're, pretty darn yeah, high. you're pretty much boiling at that point. And um, in that state of unconsciousness, there was some level of consciousness in, in, in that I was very, I was aware of what was happening. And I had this sense that I was kind of floating towards this beautiful celestial light that was very calming in many ways. And, and I think that that was, that was like the way out from the pain. Um, and as I kind of moved towards that in this weird state of unconsciousness, I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't ready to go to that light. Wow. And that's where I, I actually made a decision uh, to, to stop. And I pulled myself physically away from that light and the further I pulled myself away from that light, the the louder the noise in the ICU got, and the more you know I came back to reality. Um, and that was like that, you know, that, that's when I realized one just how incredibly resilient and powerful the human body is, and and then two how how incredibly important um, the mind is, and we separate the mind from the body in so many ways. Like we think of mental health as being one thing, and mm -hmm. physical health as being something else. When in fact, you know, it, it, physical health doesn't start at the neck and go down; it's the entirety of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and and in that sense, that the brain is um, 
you know, it's something that we, we really don't know that much about. We think we do. Um, you know, it's interesting, like one of the things that, that Wim Hof talks about a lot is that we act, we can actually access much more of our brain than we allow ourselves to believe. We've kind of, we've, we've uh, molly coddled, coddled ourselves into believing that we, we don't really have control over the, the autonomic nervous system. But I think when you have something like a near-death experience, you, you realize that you, um, you can make the decision in that moment to, to will yourself to live or to will yourself to die. Right. And, um, and I definitely was able to tap into a different part of my, of my mind at that point and, and, uh, and make the decision not to die. Um, and I came back, and when I came back, you know, there was, as I said, there was like a renewed um, commitment to wanting to do whatever I could to make changes in my life. And now, at that point, did you, you know, you come back and, and you say you have this this moment of clarity, mm-hmm. if you will. At, th- at that point, and you talked about, you know, obviously you, your doctor and how you spoke afterwards and, and looking at symptoms as as messages. At what point in time did you say, like, okay, like, this is a result of the lifestyle that I'm living right now, the food that I'm eating, the hours that I'm keeping, the stress that I'm constantly under. Well, you know, I think that one of the issues with the way that we look at health from a Western perspective is we get really hung up on causality. Mm -hmm. Um, I, for a long time, kept asking my my conventional doctor, my rheumatologist, well, what causes RA? What's caused Mm -hmm. this? And uh, he didn't have any answer. Um, He said, well, we don't really know could be some of this, could be some of that, we don't really know. It could be genetic, uh, it could be an infection, it could be, there's a lot of factors. So we get really hung up on this idea of causality, and when I came out of that experience, I was still kind of hung up on that thought. I was like, okay, well, did I do something that's brought me to this place? Um, And what I've since really come to understand about health is that there there are so many different factors that contribute to our well-being or illness, and in each individual, one factor may p- play a little bit more of a role than, than another. Genetics might be more important in one case than in another case. Uh, environment might be more, more important. Or, or in most cases, what we find in, with chronic illness is that, um, that behavior and lifestyle are, is probably the, the single most important factor. And within that, there's so many different elements. So yes, listen, Working 95 hours in a stressful uh, a week in a stressful environment, uh, partying, not taking care of myself, not eating well, those certainly were not helping me. Mm-hmm. They weren't keeping me from getting sick. Um, right. What what else happened? Well, who knows? I mean, I, I had parasites. Um, I had definitely had some pretty s- serious bacterial infections. So perhaps that in conjunction with overuse of antibiotics from childhood, I definitely had um, a carbohydrate and gluten sensitivity, and I'd eaten a very carbohydrate and gluten-based diet for a long time. So all of those things, in my mind, were contributing factors, and who knows what was the straw that broke the camel's back, but something happened that my immune system became so kind of abraded by all of uh, all of these things that were going on in my life that, and in fact, even that motorcycle accident too, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't really realize that or never thought of the immune system that is responsible for keeping me How from getting a cold too. also yeah. is the immune system that needs to help you heal from, from yeah. a physical injury. And mm-hmm. in reality, if there are only so many resources to go around and your body is really focusing on trying to heal a broken bone, then it leaves you somewhat exposed to infection, you know, and and that's that's something that I re, you know that I've that I've learned over the years is I've I've seen that if you overtax the body, whether it's through stress or lack of sleep or whatever it might be, 
you are much more likely to get sick simply because the immune system can't do its job properly. Yeah, you shut down, yeah. right? Your body's too much. It's too much. It says uncle, you know? Yeah. Too much. I legit had the goosebumps when mm -hmm. you told the story about the hospital. Like in yeah. person, I've read that so many times in person. My whole body, like goosebumps everywhere. That's it's insane. So, and for me, it's so funny because I, I remember it so incredibly clearly. It's one of those... Um, it's almost, I don't know if you ever read Mal Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, mm -hmm. but he yes. talks about that, that, you know, the things that can happen within a, a nanosecond uh -huh. and, and the way the brain processes so much information in a moment of crises. It, to a degree, it's like that for me. I, I remember all of these little things that happened, even though to a certain degree I wasn't even conscious, but it was so clear to me. Um, and there was a moment of just deciding not to die. And I actually, my, my grandfather passed away when I was 17 and I was with him and I was holding his hand and oh. he, I can remember in that moment, like he decided to die. Mm -hmm. He w had been in a coma. He squeezed my hand. He opened his eyes and he kind of like looked at me and mouthed some words and then closed his eyes and he passed away. And I, you know, that's another example of just how we, we have, s there's so much more we don't understand about the, about the, the mind and how the mind works. Mind, body, and soul. It's yeah, all connected. it's very. Yeah. I mean, we are. Yeah, we're very complex. Com a complex system. All right, we're going to take a little break from Seamus's incredible story uh, to talk about something else that is incredible, and that's policy genius. Now, life insurance is one of those topics that everyone knows a little bit about, but do you understand it well enough to feel comfortable buying it? Whether you're an insurance expert or a newbie, Policy Genius created a website that makes it easy for you to compare quotes, get advice, and get covered. Policy Genius is an easy way to get life insurance. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need at a price you can afford. From there, just apply online, and the advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape. They'll even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. No extra fees, no commission sales agents, just helpful advice and personalized service. So no matter how much or how little you know about life insurance, you can find the right policy in minutes at policygenius.com. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Now, other than your absolute best friends, who could you ask to bring you red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., and a breakfast burrito at 8 p.m.? Postmates. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service all year round. No more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code EATTHIS for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code EATTHIS. And now let's get back to Seamus and his incredible story. So excited. Let's dive right in. So after you had this horrible experience, you said you worked with Dr. Lippman. So what were some of the first changes that you made? And you were like, all right, I want to live. I'm motivated. Let's turn this around. Like what were some of the initial things that you did? Yeah. The hardest thing for me was I didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I, I came out of that experience with this, this sense of, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it takes. But... 
I didn't know what it took. Like, yeah, you're I not going to quit your job. Yeah, right? exactly. You're not gonna, I'm not going to quit my job. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, I can't go live in an ashram, you know. Right, right. So, yeah. so it was kind of like I had to figure out a path. And the reality is that I wasn't really equipped to figure out a path on my own. I needed someone to light the fuse to kind of guide me to, to, to send me down that path at least. And that's where, where Dr. Lippman came in. I mean, he really, he, he said to me the first time we met, he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. You're going to do this. I'll help you. But ultimately you'll get, you're going to get better. You're going to get between 5% and 95% better. And that's going to be dependent upon you and mm -hmm. what you do. Uh, and, he gave me a lot of guidance and he helped me and worked with me and specifically we started by making some overhauls to my diet doing a series of cleanses where we're really trying to just get all of the major offenders out of my diet and then start to reintroduce foods and see how i reacted to them um and then also to heal the gut because his, his suspicion and in his practice and particularly in chinese medicine when you don't know what to do you treat with you treat the gut you start with the gut and um and now of course this is many years later we're all understanding how important the the gut is in the immune system and the the um the microbiome which is now a catchphrase that most people who are familiar with health are familiar with but uh 10 years ago it wasn't being it wasn't being talked about as being one of the most important factors in in um in establishing a strong immune system the relationship that we have with bacteria this idea of dysbiosis within the gut or an imbalance of bacteria an overabundance of of inflammatory bacteria and that was really the the approach that that Dr. Lippman had was which was listen if the gut in all likelihood there's something going on in the gut and he was right i had i had parasites so there was definitely something going on in the gut um he you know he he wanted to help me heal the leaky gut syndrome um so heal the the lining of the gut as best as we could and then to start to kind of recultivate mm -hmm. and uh, develop and nurture a positive relationship with bacteria, if you will, um, that hopefully would lead to a stronger immune system and a more balanced immune system. And uh, and that was really our approach. I mean, in broad strokes, that was the approach. But the the the, the specifics in doing that meant w there were dietary changes, there was supplementation, acupuncture, uh, yoga, and meditation. Um, so trying to de-stress the body and moderate stress as much as possible. Uh, and then there was even Western medicine. We used low-level antibiotics at one point. Um, I used anti-parasitic medication. So there's definitely, there's a lot of shit we did. Yeah. So I, there was, there was an incredibly compelling quote from you uh, as part of your story that says, you know, you love food. Food made you who you who you were, right? It, it brought you to this level of of being a, a very well renowned chef. You know, TV opportunities, restaurants in New York City, and then you say food is almost what killed you. Mm -hmm. How hard is it as, as someone who your your entire persona, let alone your professional persona, your your personal persona, is wrapped up in in food culture? Mm -hmm. How does this have an impact on on the way you think about food now? I mean, from yeah. that, at that point, you know, because it, it must dramatically change that relationship. You talk about eliminating, going through the process of eliminating foods and how uh, reliant on carbs and sugar and those kinds of things as a chef mm -hmm. would be. And from your time, you know, learning to, to cook in Spain and, mm -hmm. and, you know, how prevalent that culture and that impact has, you know, how, how much, how, how much of a, how difficult was this for you to process? It was really hard. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely came from the perspective of thinking, well, if I'm using the best quality ingredients, then how bad can it be? Right. If I'm right. using heirloom grains and and yeah. and fermenting them to make bread, if I'm uh, everything is organic, if I'm using non-GMO, yada yada yada, 
how bad can it be? I must be doing the right thing. Um, so it was very, very hard. And, and uh, my, my feeling is that if you're dealing with, um, if you're dealing with major, major inflammation or you're dealing with, in, in my case, dysbiosis and leaky gut, it doesn't matter if that, if the, those heirloom grains were, you know, were, were raised by monks and, <laughs> and cultivated by, by unicorns, they're still going to be, they're still going to be inflammatory right. to you, you know? So, so if you're, if you're really healthy and you're doing really well and your gut's in great shape, then chances are your body can probably handle it. Um, but for someone that's dealing with an issue of, of inflammation, um, you really have to be very, very conscientious of, of the sorts of foods that can have a deleterious effect on, on the, uh, the health of your gut. Um, so it was really hard. You know, it was very hard for me to say, to realize, shit, I can't eat that. I can't right. eat that. But what I really tried to do, and I still try to do, is as much as I can, always come to the plate from a from a from a perspective of of inclusion rather than exclusion. Rather than thinking about the things that I can't eat, I look around to the garden of all the things that are so good for me, that taste so good, mm -hmm. and just bring more of that good shit into my life. You know, yeah, that's key. That's that's I think really important because if you if you are constantly thinking about cutting things out and you can't have this and you can't have that, it's a very negative perspective to look at the world. It's a negative lens to look at the world, and um, and it really strips away a lot of that joy and pleasure that I think are so important and fundamentally um, necessary for food to really be healing. That's interesting. That's a great perspective. And I think that, you know, we've talked about that, yeah. you know, here. It's, it's so many, so, so many people get hung up on, on, on I'm going to cut carbs. Right. right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm New Year's resolution. Like I'm going to cut X, no Y, carbs. or Z. Yeah. No yeah. I'm going carb free. They just did the the 10 day challenge, right? The mm -hmm. J Lo 10 day challenge with where she called out the people on the Today Show. 10 days, yeah. no carbs, no sugar. And it's like Carson Daly was out in the first day. He was like, yeah. recognize <laughs> it. It wasn't going to happen. And and that's I think that's that's most of us, right? You think about eliminating something so prevalent. It, it just it feels hard from the start so yep. so you're not going to have a lasting change there so so what was your first step to, to kind of saying like okay here's how we're going to make this work because because it was literally a, a life and death kind of situation so mm -hmm. it, there there's a lot of motivation there yeah. intrinsically well the, I think the first thing for me was to um, was to acknowledge that there are certain foods that were probably not good for me for right now and that I was gonna have to forgo them for a while um, uh, my friend Melissa Hartwig, who who is the founder of the, of the Whole Thirty, she always says, um, "We're not going to have what does she call it? Uh, sex with your clothes on." That's <laughs> what she calls it. So it's it's when she when you when you replace, uh, let's say you replace bread with gluten free bread, or like right. uh, dessert with a paleo dessert. You know, it's her whole perspective is don't don't try to. Don't don't replace something you know something bad with something worse, right? Or equally bad. So my my I really adopted that as well, and I feel very strongly about that. Like if you're gonna eat if you're gonna eat bread, just eat really really good bread, and just don't do it very often. You know, make a treat out of it. Or same thing with chocolate, etc. Rather than um, eating something that's kind of an artificial replacement, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. which oftentimes ends up being less nutritious than than if you just exactly. had the had the bread in the first place. Uh, so that was you know that was part of it. Um, it was challenging, you know, it's, carbs are one of those things that it, it's so odd how we've come to demonize carbs in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, but I think that when I demonize carbs, I'm really thinking about the potato chips, I'm thinking about, um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, lots of pasta, listen, a little bit of rice every once in a while, not a big deal, fresh pasta every once in a while, for most people, not a big deal, um, you know, I, I personally know that I feel better when I don't eat those, those things. Um, 
but uh, there's lots of carbohydrates in 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 yuca and yams and sweet potatoes and plantains and broccoli and Brussels sprouts. So there's lots of carbohydrates that we do do a great job of processing, and many of those are prebiotic fibers mm -hmm. that are very good for feeding our good bacteria. So I think the idea of the, if you can get away from the carbs that are in liquid form, that's a first yeah. step and a really great step to, to, to make. Um, so that's your fruit juice and your sodas, uh, your, your, a lot of the alcohol, mm -hmm. beer and wine and things like that. I think those are good things to, to be conscientious of, and that's usually where most of it sneaks in. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned um, some foods that you worked into your diet that are really good for your microbiome. So mm -hmm. for our, all our listeners, like, what are, what are some of the top foods you recommend to for help the, feed for the your gut? Yeah, yeah feed your so, gut. so there are two main families of bacteria that live in in, um, it, in the gut. There's B. fragilis, Bacteroides fragilis um, bacteria, and there's Firmicutes bacteria. And those two main, main families, they eat on very different things. They feed on different things. So um, it's I don't really like to to polarize and say one's good and one's bad because really like with anything else it's about balance. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important thing, and we don't really know very much about the micro microbiome, we're learning more and more all the time, but uh, it seems as though the best guess we can make about what constitutes a really healthy microbiome is a diverse population of bacteria. And diversity is usually comes from um, obviously feeding various strains of bacteria. And most of the, the healthy bacteria, the, the B. fragilis bacteria, feed on uh, vegetable fibers, for instance, that we can't digest. So those are things that are, um, that, that are found in artichokes and asparagus, uh, all the alliums, so the onions, garlic, leeks, all of that stuff. Um, uh, the the brassicas the the Brussels sprouts um, broccoli uh, mustard greens all of that stuff they're they're going to have lots of good prebiotic fibers that are going to feed healthy bacteria but they're also going to have plenty of other micronutrients and carbohydrates that are really good for us as well and how did this change or have an impact on the way you cook like uh, for someone who cooked for their for mm -hmm. their for their living like you come away from this and, and it's one thing to say like okay like I, we're gonna look at the foods and and the microbiome but at the end of the day like your business and 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 what you eat every day like how does how did that impact you know what was so close to you which is the kitchen it had a huge impact on it I you know I, I felt to a degree like I couldn't I couldn't be it's almost like somebody who's who's a who's a I don't know a, a recovered alcoholic now working in a bar and right. attending bar like it's really challenging, especially when the food is so delicious. Yeah, exactly. The food's <laughs> really eating good. Hamon and cheese all the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know, and a lot of that stuff is still is, yeah. is really great if it's just one. It's in moderation. You don't you're not consuming it all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely you know I I had to really think long and hard about what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, I, I realized, see, one of the things that I love is when, when I, oftentimes I'll, I'll, when I'm doing a, an event or if I'm doing a private dinner, um, I, I, uh, I'll cook just the way I cook, which is just like you see in the, in the book. It's a lot of vegetables. It's a lot of, um, healthy fats, uh, fish and oily fish and, and pastured meats and things like that. And very, very few carbohydrates and, uh, very little dairy um, if any, and, and no sugar at all. And I always ask people at the end of the meal, like, do you feel like there was, did you guys notice that there was something missing? And they're like, what are you talking about? There's something missing. This is a, dinner was delicious. This is great. great. Well, we didn't have any bread and you know, there wasn't like tons of whipped potatoes and there wasn't like all this right. like stuff that, that really is inflammatory. 
um, and that some of us feel like need to be on the plate mm-hmm. or need to be on the table because we're just used to it being there and we expect that filler. Um, but 99% of the time, the response is like, no, oh my God, you're right. They don't even realize. People don't, re- when, you, when you're able to really um, put forward food that's very dynamic and exciting and, ref- and, and, and bright and vibrant and, um, and delicious, you don't think about what you're not having. Yeah. You just really enjoy what you are having. And, and basic, it's like, I, so I experienced this last night. My wife and I were like, oh, what are we gonna eat for dinner? And you ch- kind of run through the checklist. It's like, all right, you know, there's chicken, pork, like we have all this, because you think about the things that have to be there. And ultimately yeah. I was like, you know, I have all these vegetables that I bought and like some of them have, have been in the fridge for, for a few days, so let's just use those. So we ended up, I just took uh, squash, zucchini, asparagus, uh, portobello mushrooms, cut everything up, drizzled it with olive oil, salt and pepper, roasted it in the oven for 25 minutes, and then just ate it over uh, brown rice, mm-hmm. a bowl of brown rice with a, like a balsamic glaze drizzle on it. And it's, there was no meat. Yep. There was no dairy. Like it was just, it was, it was, it was so big, it was super basic. Yep. It took yeah. me 25, 30 minutes to cook rice and vegetables at about the same time. Right. And it was filling. I didn't snack again the rest of it. And it was, it was good. It was satiating. Right. And I think that's what so many people have a hang up. It, protein is, everybody's protein obsessed right now. I have mm-hmm. to have protein. So you think like big steak or a pound of chicken breast. And one of the things I like about, about the book and one of your re- recommendations um, is meat is almost like a side. Yep as opposed to the main course. Yeah, or it's an ingredient that you right. fold into something, um, you know, using that as a way. And, the, and the, one of the great things about animal protein is that it does taste really freaking good. Right. And, yeah. and so if you're using good quality animal protein, but you, you can use that as a flavoring element to mm-hmm. other things to really make your Brussels sprouts sing or mm-hmm. to really make your, your cauliflower just really pop and be great. And it, so you might have, instead of having a six ounce steak, you're getting like half an ounce of of of, uh, of of meat in your in your dish, but it's bringing so much to the table. It's bringing so much to the party. It like really is increasing the flavor of what you're having and making it that much more exciting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this incredibly inspiring uh, discussion with with Seamus Mullen, and you know I hope that you are you have been as moved as as I have been, and I and I yeah, know and you are. Thank you so much for for bringing Seamus into into the studio with us today. Um, but make sure you stay tuned because we're not done with Seamus just yet. Because next week is going to be part two of our discussion with Seamus, and we're going to get into real food heals a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to hear more about his latest cookbook and some key takeaways things you can make changes in your life right now uh, to lead you to a happier, healthier place. And in the meantime, be sure to join us at eatthis.com on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram where we are at eatthisnotthat. I hope that you will join us again for a steady stream of delicious food tips and great information about what to eat and what not to eat. And I'm John Hammond. And I'm Megan Murphy. And you guys can follow me too. Please say hello on Instagram. I'm This Girl Can Eat. Feel free to follow our awesome special guest today at Seamus Mullen. He always has amazing inspiration on his Instagram page. And please let us know what food decisions are on your mind so we can continue to help you eat this, not that.